Rock, I'm from the candy antler show. Let's go. Smoke The perfect knife for cutting your underwear. Oh, you might have to take a beer run while we're out, huh? Did y'all see that? I hope y'all saw that, because that's what they look like. All right, everybody, welcome to Outside Stuff, presented by Blue Court Outdoors. I'm your host, Stephen Marshall, and today, uh, we're it's a hot one where I'm at. Uh, it took a little bit to find a place to do this that's quiet, secluded, um, snake-free. I, I can't say snake-free. We found snakes. Um, pigeon shit-free and all that good stuff. So it's super hot. I'm super sweaty, hence the headband on, Ugh, on my head. But that's okay. Um, the battle was fought, and it's. I think we've won it. Uh, today, I'm going to have John Oliver Allen III on, and um, you have no idea who he is, and that's fine, and I'll explain it. Uh, he is with me, deployed right now with me in the Army, and he's been on eight Blue Cord videos in our time, So when in, from fishing and hunting. So I thought I'd have him on because he's a friend, so he's easy to talk to, and we can kind of just go over the videos that we have made together and experiences we've had while making them. Real quick, here's just a quick little montage of John Allen um, over our time together with uh, with Blue Cord. Check it out. <laughs> no, no long arm in it. No long Look arm. Look at that peacock right there, guy. Oh, here we go. Hey, let's start fishing again. Yeah, let's start fishing. Actually, totally look up. <laughs> yeah, time to run. <laughs> what you got on there today, son? What's your bait of uh, choice? This little, what's little jig popper thingy? That's that's the proper term for it. Oh yeah, it just stopped. <laughs> oh my god, I did! I got two jacks. <laughs> we got. Beautiful snow. This fish brought to you by Bushlight. Oh, I see him too. Gotta stay hydrated. You gotta stay hydrated. Gotta stay hydrated. Bring him up. I, I'm just glad I have my partner here to pour Bushlight down my throat while I was reeling this fish up. Well, you look so dehydrated, dude. I was dehydrated. You know, that fish took a lot out of me. Thank God I had some Bushlight. As you can see, the man is no good in flip-flops and in rain. But uh, <laughs> everyone, this is uh, John Allen. Ah, uh, Steven. And the words of uh, John Brooks Robinson, I don't have to be here, I get to be here. That's right. And it's a pleasure. It always is a pleasure. I see you 24-7. Mm-hmm. So this is no different than uh, if we were just sitting in our our very low square footage area that we have to ourselves, which I guess is just both of our areas because that's what we do. Is our stuff right. is all intermingled together. Yeah, we have less space than uh, a pair of twins at uh, Mommy and Dad's house. Yeah. We might as well just put our racks together and just, yeah, yeah, just sleep together. make one big full mattress. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier doing this podcast because it's all the same stuff that we would typically talk about in a 24-hour period. Now we're just doing it uh, for an audience. Yeah, well, there, yeah, who knows if there's actually an audience, but if there is. We well, there's an audience. Yeah, there's an there's audience. An audience. Uh, real quick, John, um, who are you? Where do you oh, come from? John Oliver on the third. Uh, Born in Hackensack, New Jersey. Nice. Raised in Wanage, New Jersey. Nice. In Appalachian Mountains, uh, home of the Wildcats. Oh. And currently reside in Apollo Beach, Florida, uh, with the Florida Army National Guard, where we are currently deployed overseas. Yes. And uh, I'd love to talk with you about the, I want to say adventure, but more of a shit show that this deployment has been. 
Actually, I wouldn't mind that. No, yeah. we can definitely talk let's, about let's that. Let's talk about it because it's start been a with wild that. ride. I will start with that, actually. Kick her off. Um, so I, I think it was like November 3rd. We moved to Fort Bliss, Texas. Went to Camp McGregor in New Mexico. Stayed two months there. Uh, trained, did all the whatnots. And then we left for to fly into Kuwait. I think New Year's Eve. I think we landed 20 minutes after I mean, New Year's. It wasn't even New Year's Eve. It took us three days to get there. Yeah. So we, we ended up leaving uh, December 30th. And I remember we landed in Kuwait right before the New Year hit. And we were driving on a bus to go to Camp Buren in Kuwait. And I had woken up on the bus. And I looked at my phone and it was 12.17 in the morning. Mm. So I was like, oh, shit, Happy New Year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was an awful flight. Super, super long, super just... I'm not a big flyer, so uh, anything in the Army that has to do with flying is forever and a day. Luckily, we were commercial and stuff like that, but it's just, uh, I can't stand flying. Then we get into Kuwait for a cup of coffee, and it says like 15, 18 hours, and then we flew to Syria, landed in Syria at the the, the Syrian airport hair care and tire center, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, on a runway about a quarter the size of what it's supposed to be so when you land on a thing I mean you're talking about C-17s putting the pedal down on, on that brake and they're landing like three to five foot away from the grass where it meets the asphalt what was so, the runway a quarter of the length it should have yeah, been yeah and about only three inches thick so mm-hmm. every time you land the whole thing would bow and then we got out of the plane walked to the ECP because that's where it dead ends there right into the ECP and began living in Syria where the internet was awful. I became a big fan of the speed test, mm-hmm. like Googling speed test to see how fast my internet is. And, you know, I think over there is somewhere between like 0.15 and like 4, depends on where you're at. You never really appreciate internet until you don't have any. Yeah, having internet in your pocket is like a crazy thing to think of back in the States when you're, you're overseas and you have to be in certain spots. And... God, I even hate talking about that because it makes me feel like such a, like a bitch. But, you know, it's, everything's internet now. It's you know? a struggle. And I think for the three months I was there, I, I only got to talk just a couple times on the phone with the kids and the wife. And it's brutal. So, it Yeah, was, I thought the, the first few days of the deployment really set the tone with how it was going to be. Because, like you said, we landed in Kuwait. We were only there for 15, 18 hours. But the original plan was to be there for up to five days to get all of our equipment set up, to get the rifles zeroed, to get everything we needed to be prepared to go to Syria. And like you said, as soon as we got there, it was like, oh. Well, that's your first mistake right. uh, is trusting timelines. Expecting everything to go as planned. Yeah, because since, you know, and again, that's just how it is when you're part of the teams. Right. Uh, <laughs> when you're part of the teams like we are, um, everything's unexpected. Day of change, you know. Where are we going? I can't tell you till we get there. You gotta love it. No, I think the president called that one in for yeah. us. He called me on the phone. He said, "Hey, we need you to get to Syria right away." All right. Yeah, fine. Uh, Syria is cool. Um, it was a kind of a blast from the past. I'm not gonna say where we were in Syria, but uh, it was two meals a day. You know, local food, one meal on Fridays. So you did a lot of weight loss. A big weight loss program they were running over there. I think I went from about 200 and. 14 pounds down to 189 pounds was able to kind of get adjusted to that metabolism and get back up to like 195 pounds before I before I left uh, it was freezing cold um, 
I have never been that cold in my life. I mean, we were doing uh, we were called the Midnight Riders. Midnight Riders. Yeah. And uh, we would work the nice the Night's Watch. Yeah, the Night's yeah. Watch. Yeah, guarding the gate and guarding the wall. And we would work from like midnight to eight in the morning, and we would be in there 19 degrees, snowing. The snow was hell. Um, it, it it was absolutely freezing and I think what's funny too is that place had been around for like two years and never once did anyone ask for heaters and then us Florida guys get in there begging for heaters and Suba shows up with four diesel heaters you pour diesel in and set them on fire within three weeks and it's just a ticking time bomb is all that was yeah no I actually had to put did I ever tell you I put one out that set the ECP on I fire I remember yeah I remember. were you there do you remember when they put the jet fuel in the heater instead of the diesel that's what it was was it, it was that, right? That's when it set yeah, on fire. because I remember I had, I had the shift after you, and I went on shift, and we tried to light it up, and there was still so much jet fuel in that heater. The whole thing, I thought the whole thing was going to explode right on me. Yeah, the biggest issue we had was trying to stay alive, whether right. it was cold, whether the, the points we were at were going to set on fire, which I uh, got lucky. I became the SOG, so I had just had a, a bulletproof truck, but the uh, and I would just come around and have you guys sit in the truck with me every, you know take shifts and so you know, wouldn't freeze to death and die but the uh the men out there which was crazy too for the squad i had no one ever complained about anything hmm. and that was what was nuts and some of these dudes even said that they wanted to be warm so bad that they're like if you ever hear me complain about being hot in kuwait slap me across my face you know, because they, they were, exactly. it was taken for granted so much. And uh, and then I think it took took our ISU 90 if, like a couple of weeks to get there before we actually did. Before, no, I'm sorry. It took us a couple of weeks to get there after we had already gotten there, which had most of our cold weather gear. It took a month. Yeah. And uh, getting that was a ch- game changer because. Well, you remember the first shift that we did there. Um, because, so. The Air Force really threw us for a loop with the flights being able to get in and out of yeah. that small runway we had. They were flying so much equipment in, and uh, the planes were so heavy, they can only bring so much in at, at a time. Yeah, it'd be like seven people so, in a Bradley. Right. Uh, so any kind of puddle or slickness on the runway, they had to immediately turn around and go back to whatever country they came from before they got to Syria. So remember, even just getting the rest of our guys there took weeks. 18 days. 18 days. So the first 18 days that we were there, there was only about six, seven of us there. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing the first shift with you uh, the day after we got there. And we had relieved the uh, unit from Minnesota, mm-hmm. who I'm sure is very used to the cold weather there. They seemed like they had no issue with it. They were actually the unit that um, did the exfil in Afghanistan. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, they went there. They got spun up and went into that and were the last dudes last dudes in Afghanistan. They had a hell of a deployment as well because they had bounced around just like we had. Um, been to the same That we places. currently are doing. Right. That we're <laughs> currently doing. Same missions that uh, just that they got pulled into Afghanistan for a couple weeks too. But I, mean, I remember getting that first shift with you and it was just the two of us on shift that night and going out and sitting in the ECP and it getting down into the teens. And I remember just not having anything and just doing anything to stay alive. I remember exactly what I wore that night too. I wore um, a regular top, um, the Polypro, and the fleece. And I remember thinking, and two, it was 
we went on at like 1600 i remember looking at my watch it was 1830 thinking there's absolutely no way i can do another six hours mm. and somehow I, I did but uh those minnesota guys weren't really affected by the cold either they were used to it or it's just being from minnesota but uh, that had to I, be it. I was dying right and that was my last shift i ever pulled in a tower from start to finish right. you guys did it every day but that was the last one i ever did so you know hang your hat on that because you powered through, you know, you were north of the wall. We all were. We all were. And uh, the wildlings, all that stuff could have came at us. And we, none of our guys complained about anything. I mean, they, we knew they were cold. They said they were cold, but none of them ever bitched, I reckon. That's, right. you know, everyone kind of laughed it off. You know, you'd walk into some places and dudes would be huddled under a table. And I'd be like, yo, where's this guy? And I just, someone grabbed my ankle. I'm like, oh my god, you know, and they're like, hey, sorry, it's warm down here. You know? <laughs> just trying to so, do anything. To anything. And, and the wind, too. Um, on the nights that we didn't have, you know, enemy drones coming in to survey oh, yeah, the area. A lot, a lot of drones. A lot of drones, a lot of drones, which was pretty awesome to experience because you're not getting shot at. It's not really a threat, but you're still engaging with this space gun. <laughs> yeah. uh, which what it does is uh, it jams the radio frequency between the operator of the drone and the drone itself. Mm -hmm. So you actually get to visibly see what you're doing to this drone and you almost take control of it which was amazing and we did it so many times. It was for the first month or two that we were there, it was almost on a, a nightly basis and then it kind of went down. It, it slowed down a lot. Um, well, it slowed down when... Uh, uh, after Alasaka, yeah. when the Bradleys went and, yeah. and killed a bunch of people, mm -hmm. uh, which was amazing and... Uh, which I don't know what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, that never happened. No, that never happened. We were there. Yeah, chill, chill, so that was, that was pretty awesome. And I think it was stuff like that that kind of kept a lot of us going through the cold, which was just, you know, at some point throughout the night, something's going to happen, mm -hmm. and it's going to be really fun. And it'll take up an hour or two of your time, enough to warm you up a little bit, yeah. and then enough to keep you a little bit excited for the rest of the shift yeah. to get to get through with it. But, yeah, I, I, let's talk about the, the second day we were there, where a dying place, our, our motto came from. Oh, yeah, we're, we thought that was the end. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I uh, woke up at like 3 in the morning or something and uh, been asleep for just a couple hours. And you get woken up saying, get all your get all your kit, get your kit on, Kevlar, get all your SI. I think we're about to leave. And I never heard that before, the, the possibility of leaving a place because we always said, you know, we just die in place. You know what I mean? Like I thought you'd just defend this, whatever. But I guess there was like Iranian ballistic missiles coming in and me and you were in this weird state of sleep. Um, we just we knew we weren't going to be able to go back to sleep for a while, so we just drank a bang real quick. We're hammering yeah, a star blast, and that's where the star blast in your ass. Exactly. And then uh, it was like trying to accept like, is this really happening? Or are these dudes just messing with us? And uh, no, it was really happening, and it was just a matter of like one guy calling another guy and saying you don't want to do this or something like they're trying to explain to us. And I filmed this whole thing, by the way. I, and this will come out later, early next year. Uh, I film, I filmed this whole entire deployment, and it's titled Twenty One Twenty Two: A Story of Men Who Get to Be Here, uh, which is a, it's a sarcastic title because <laughs> we don't, the get to be here part is <laughs> we all have to be here. Yeah, yeah, we have to. Yeah, but we like to say you, you don't have to be here; you get to be here, and raises morale a little but bit. But I don't know if you remember that night when uh, they first notified us about it. We had just gotten there, so no one that we were there with really knew who any of us were at the time. Yeah. So that lieutenant came in and he said, I need Sergeant First Class Bonanno and Alan. 
in the talk right now. And I said, what could they possibly need? <laughs> yeah, what did they, they need this E7 and this E4 right now in the talk? <laughs> right now. And, I uh, said, there is no amount of war knowledge that I could give you <laughs> about how to face a uh, ballistic missile heading right towards us. What do you want me to say? Uh, let's get all of our shit and run. What okay. was it that it ended up being that they had the wrong guy? They were looking for um, Lieutenant Rippy. Oh, and they thought his name was Alan? They, they thought it was me for some reason. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I remember laying in bed, and I, I heard that, and I said, there's no possible way that they need me. No. If there's got to be a mistake. No, <laughs> barely any time that I call for you do I really need you. And that's <laughs> exactly. just on a personal level. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And, yeah, the whole the whole time that night. We called was, it warring. Right. We warred for the first time. Yeah, uh, was we a good Experience what, what possibly could have been a, uh, a very... Very uh, deadly situation. And then after when they said that, all right, everything's good, we're done, it, it everything's been handled, we uh, were like, oh, I guess we're done drinking these bangs. And I remember thinking, like, well, I'm not. <laughs> I already started. I might so, as well just finish this bang real quick. I don't quick. know if you remember, but the lieutenant, another lieutenant came in, and he the first thing he said was index. And I said, so this was training. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they said index, which is not the word you want to use when you're you know, trying to tell me this wasn't a training thing. Right. Use the training word for you're done is index. So, and exercise. Right. <laughs> That's what it stands for if you didn't know. Uh, but yeah, the Syria lasted a handful of months and then um, we were able to finally get on a bird, go to Kuwait. We went to Arifjan in Kuwait, which, let me tell you something, we consider this part the R&R portion of our deployment because it was so nice. You know, four meals a day, I had a an actual bed with a mattress, a concrete building I lived in, uh, internet in my pocket because we bought those pucks, and you know you had a massive gym, and we could when we worked and work was even better because the service was better at work and your work was we guarded a port and it was very minimal what you would do, uh, but no one ever minded going to work. It was great, and then uh, we were fishing. That was awesome. And uh, in a softball league. The softball yeah, league. Yeah, we were in the softball league. I was part of the Florida Bangers. We were the most hated team in the whole camp. By both players and uh, umpires. And then you were, what, plan B? We were plan B. Florida plan B. Yep. The, greatest, uh, the greatest team to ever walk the camps of Eric John. Well, it was the greatest team to never make the playoffs. Well, let's not go into that. But yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, camp of Eric John was amazing because coming from Syria, which was some of the worst living conditions we ever had, Yeah. to go to Kuwait – where you had lightning fast internet. And to compare the internet between Kuwait, which Kuwait is just like any internet you'd have back home, but Syria was- Well, it tries to be, I won't, tries I won't to say- be. It, You'd it, have blackouts from yeah. now and then, but the internet we had in, in Syria was more of, I wonder if I'm gonna be able to send this text in the next four hours. Yeah. Because that's how long it took to send anything. Yeah, yeah, or uh, the, the, there's no streaming. The rule in the, the tent was, no, you, Streaming's against is outlawed. You right. have to have it downloaded. So just to be able to go, you'd have to go to a completely different building on camp. Yeah. Just to be able to download a podcast. Yeah. So you'd have some source of entertainment. Yeah. While you were sitting in that tower for eight hours. Yeah. Try to. Um, and then after, I don't know how long we were at AJ. Two month, months. Two months was that? Two that months long? exactly. We uh, packed up all of our stuff, moved to a different camp in Kuwait, Camp Buring, which is. Uh, was hotter, way hotter. Actually, that's the hottest I've ever been. That, those days were bad. And we went there, and uh, we just trained for a month. Um, it's similar to AJ, but it's not as nice. And But we found a little small gym that was next to us, and that became like our uh, 
That was Gainesville. We took over that gym. We took over that gym. We would yell across that gym. It was just in a tent, but that's where everyone was very much getting bigger. Very there. big. Yeah. And it was very nice. Well, the, I got very accustomed to to the lifting in that little gym. The experience we had in Kuwait, lifting-wise, was light years beyond what Kuwait was. Because in Kuwait, with the food that we had, which was strictly lamb for every meal. No, you're talking about Syria? Syria. Yes. Yeah. Being strictly lamb every meal, and everyone was getting sick. I had to take a modium every day just mm-hmm. to keep myself regular. Mm-hmm. And everyone was getting what was called the Syrian butt flu, yeah. which was vomiting, you know, excessive diarrhea, and just dropping weight like crazy. And even with the small little crappy gym that they had in Syria, there was no amount of lifting that you could do to actually put on a decent amount of muscle. No, and, it, and even the gym in Syria, I can't even complain about it. It was it would it does its job. The problem is, is you're you're not able to take in as much protein and calories and carbs, all that stuff. Like you're just constantly in like this starvation. We're in game. a negative. State we were in the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the Hunger Games. I agree. And then going to Kuwait where. You have access to protein and creatine and, you know, any other supplement that you can think of and four meals a day yeah. and a gym, like a real gym, just like you'd have back home with all the uh, exercise equipment you can think of. Put it this way. When I got to Kuwait, I was about 194 pounds. I was able to get to 214 before I left. Well, I put on 15 pounds in the first three weeks we were there. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So that was nice. That was good for the body. My body is doesn't know what to do with the fluctuation and weight and weight loss it's been doing. So... After Buring, we get on a plane to, I want to, I think we're staying the rest of the deployment where we're at now currently, and... We'll call it Destination X. <laughs> Destination X, Paradise. The X for, you don't want to be here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not Syria, um, but it is closer to the accommodations of Syria than it is, ever will be Kuwait. Um, we do get to go on the town a lot um, to go just shop and uh, haircuts and whatnot, but the... And we work, so that's kind of nice because it gets us back on a schedule. We've been here three weeks now, and it's kind of flown by. Um, the food is like Syria. They just give you bigger portions of it. I don't think they understand breakfast, no. and I think they understand Americans as just fat people. So, like, breakfast will be, like, three chicken It's always three chicken nuggets. Always. Three chicken nuggets. Uh, you might be able to get some eggs. Hot dogs or glizzies, as we call them. Um, they'll be like chopped chicken sausage in a ketchup-based sauce, and you're like, you guys, you silly. It's just cut up hot dogs it's, and ketchup. Yeah, and they just throw is. ketchup on and they mix it all together. Uh, and then dinner is always a it's, a, it's a guessing game. A very dry chicken. But you get a beef. massive plate of it. Right, you at know? dinner, you always get a massive plate. Yeah. Breakfast is slim pickets. Yeah, but it, like I said, you get more food, which is nice. A lot of people are losing a, a hell of a lot of weight here already. 10, 15 pounds out of t- per person. I don't think I've lost. I don't know if I've lost anything. I couldn't tell you because we don't have a scale. We can't really. No. I can feel myself getting smaller, a little smaller, but I think that's just from the fact that we're only really getting two meals a day, and then lunch is kind of a and they a got toss up. and we got the gym, which is a Beaver Fit, which is just a connex, like a traveling connex with gym equipment in it. So everything's we j- we gym outside. We work during the day, come back, and then we go right back outside, and we. And we beat the, we call it beating up the beef. We beat the beef up here at a constant state of sweating. Yeah, and, and you're just soaked. So, I mean, I kind of understand the the losing weight aspect of it. I am getting stronger. Yeah, I am getting I stronger. So I I lost a, nice. a, a little bit of strength um, coming here. I wouldn't say it's anything drastic. I'm down maybe you know on average 10, 15 pounds per lift. Yeah, which isn't I just bad. I just hit a personal PR the other day yeah. on the flat bench. 
305 pounds. Um, I'm getting closer to the mic just to reiterate, 305 pounds. <laughs> but, but no, uh, I, like I said, it's, it's easy because we're here and our, our wives probably get annoyed by this, but like everybody is like best friends with everybody in our platoon. So yeah, drill weekends are never a bothersome because I know I'm going to get to hang out with the boys. And then the fact that I'm here for a year with all the boys, it makes it so much easier. Um, people probably get annoyed by that, that everyone's friends. Um, they probably think we're like a clique or something, but that, you know, whatever. Well, here's the thing, never in a million years would I want to be in the situations that we've been in on this deployment because they've just been so miserable, including the place right now. Um, but the fact that, you know, we got all of our best friends here makes things go by a hell of a lot smoother. Because yesterday, let's take yesterday for example, I spent all day outside in the middle of a sandstorm yeah. at work. Yeah, and you looked that awful. was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. And this just this morning at breakfast, we're sitting there laughing so hard. I thought I was going to throw up. I walked up, <laughs> and I was in a truck the whole time, so I was not in the sandstorm. And then I walked up to you. What were the first words you said? First words I, I said, because uh, anyone that knows Steven knows that uh, he likes to make light of very serious situations because yeah. it's funny. Yeah. And he walked up to the window of the truck that I was sitting in after the sandstorm had passed, and I'm sitting there absolutely just covered, caked in sand yeah. and very sweaty. And he walked up to me with that shitty grin on his face, and the first thing I said to him was, tread lightly. <laughs> You're going to say something stupid, and I'm going to get really mad. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I retorted with, you want me to get you some water? <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> yes, please. But yeah, it's, it's, it's situations like that where I don't know how I would have gotten through some shit like that if, if we didn't have you guys here. So it makes things a lot easier. And then obviously being able to do this podcast in our free time, it just makes the time go by a lot faster. It's mostly that no one's told me I can't yet, and I'm right. waiting for someone to tell me I can't. Um, but a lot of people don't ever tell me I can't because I do so many things in secret. Everything's secret squirrel, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, I was told not to come in this building. That's where I'm at right now. Right. Yeah. All of these buildings that we have on site here are owned by the government of the country we're in. I know and, they don't take care of them, and they definitely don't because they've been here for years, and it doesn't look like anything's been here for years except for the snakes. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we're not supposed to be in here, but I don't think anyone knows we're in here, so we're going to keep it rolling, because yeah. why not? But that's pretty much caught up with where we're at right now. We're hopefully be home in November, and um, early November, and we can get back to regular lifestyle, but I, I appreciate you bringing up the deployment, because yeah. that was a good 30 Speaking minutes. Speaking of the deployment. Um, 30 minutes of being able to talk about what's going on. Yeah, while we were in Kuwait, let's talk about some of the fishing we did there. I can do that. So, yeah. So we got a in Kuwait, an air summer, kind of by the by the water, by the Persian Gulf. And we knew we were going to be at that camp at some point in time. So we had had all this tackle from Walmart and Miramar when we were on the uh, 5G mission. Some people call it COVID. I call it 5G. And we just had it shipped over there with all of our stuff when we when we left. So we got in a truck, and we drove down to a Kuwaiti naval base, and we had found, uh, there was like a boat ramp, and it had this like, I'm not gonna say abandoned pier, but it was just like this riggedy ass pier. And we would swim to it, it was about 25, 30 foot. Swim to it, climb up it, and there was fish. I remember going there, I think we went there just for some there's some MWR. Yeah, event. yeah, they wanted to do like a barbecue or something there. And we saw it there. And when we got out there, you could see all the fish everywhere. So 
we made a plan to go out there and I remember doing a lot of YouTubing and stuff about the fish you can catch which you can catch kingfish right off the right off the rocks here uh, but there's abundance of queenfish and queenfish are like this there's they're a schoolie style fish but they uh, they do get big I, I've seen them as big as like 40 plus inches but they're comparable to like jack the way they they school up and the way they hit and the way they fight they're very strong so I told you like hey I want to go catch these fish and I think you had to go to work one day and and I went out there and the first fish I caught was a damn queen fish mm-hmm. and she wasn't anything but 12 13 inches long but I was like oh hell yes this is possible now so then we go out there and you're with me and again we're using this light I mean, all of our rigs that we had were pretty much set up like four pound mono or like eight pound braided yeah, line, really 2,500 real, yeah, super ultralight uh, setups. And uh, we threw nothing but artificial at these fish and, and we were catching some really big ones. The only problem was is that the dock we were on was about 10, 12 feet high and there was no way of being able to get the fish up. So a lot of them either got under the pier, broke me off. I had one that we tried to just kind of hand jam all the way up, but the lure ended up bending because it was just some real cheap uh walmart lures and uh, but those treble big hooks ones, on them. they sat pretty deep in the in the water column because i believe at the end of that pier that we were fishing off of it was probably about you know 20 25 feet deep something like that and they were all on the bottom and i remember throwing those artificials out at them and you'd watch these big queen fish come up and swipe at it yeah you know, which was awesome and they were and those ones i remember those specifically and those ones were had to be around 40 inches they like when massive. they when they came up they were some of the biggest inshore fish I'd ever seen. So they were, they were really big. Uh, I know one time we were pulling up like a, a small grunt or a little snapper right off that corner of that pier and a shark came up and swatted it right at the top of the water. So there was a reason why we never jumped in the water to grab any of our fish to claim, you know, and get a picture of them. But uh, that was fun. That was some fun fishing. It was super hot, so you kind of had to... Uh, that video actually will premiere season five on carbon tv but, but the water was beautiful though too because yeah. as hot as it was which we were getting upwards of 115 120 degrees out there while we were fishing but to be able to go in the water which was actually really cold oh it felt like probably 70 right. 72 degrees it was pretty chilly for i mean we're used to being in the gulf and the gulf is usually pretty warm mm-hmm. year round um but being in that water it was pretty cold and it was really refreshing it was really salty so you could just lay there and float the whole time mm-hmm. and it was crystal clear for the most part um but we did have a couple days where we would go out there and catch those school of queenfish coming in mm-hmm. with the, the the stingrays jumping out of the water, the birds following them in. Yeah, there's massive, uh, there's big bull sharks in the, there. You can see the birds and the seagulls hitting from a couple hundred yards away, and you can see all the bait fish on top. You can see the the queenfish coming out of the water. The rays were shooting out of the water, which was really cool. And then you see these big airplane sharks or or, or sandbar sharks, whatever you want to call them, and bull sharks kind of cruising with them. And I remember you and Bonanno specifically being able to hammer that group, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get them to hit my green spoon to save my They would come up at it, and they wouldn't do nothing with it. But I had caught my fair share of queenfish, and I had a blast. They reminded me a lot of when they schooled up like that. Reminded me, reminded me a lot of uh, the Spanish mackerel you get in Tampa Bay, um, or like, uh, or just uh, little uh, like bonitas. Right. Yeah. Did the same thing. Yeah. You get them all frenzied up when they're chasing. It looked like they were chasing. Uh, some small glass minnows or something. Yeah, it was really small. Yeah, yeah, but they, they reminded me a lot of mackerel in the way they schooled up like that, the way they were all smacking the top of the water line, and they were hitting just about everything you threw in the middle of that mm-hmm. school. And that was nice. And then it kind of, 
kind of faded away a little bit. I think it just got it got incredibly hot, so they weren't coming up as much. And uh, oh heavens, that's nah, called a prayer time. <clears throat> I can hear it. I don't know if they'll be able to hear it in the mic, but uh, called a prayer is being sung over the loudspeaker. Yeah, it must be time in this nation. But that was a lot of fun, and I actually think I might see if I can't get one mounted for the house. That would be awesome. It would be cool. They're a really cool-looking fish because they're they're a lot like Jack in the shape that their body's in, but they got some really cool designs on them. Mm-hmm. They had that really long black line that went straight from their nose all the way down to their tail. They had what looked like fingerprints right yeah. on the side of the fish. And they were in a line, too. It wasn't randomly like spots right. or anything. It was like in ducks in a row. Yeah, it was under, amazing. And that black line was like a weird like bloodline see it go all the way across it was neat it was a neat fish uh they were fun to catch um Can we saw a lot of ballyhoo out there ballyhoo were the most annoying thing and big old hound fish were out there it was a good time there's a lot of a lot of good stuff but that was pretty much the extent of what we caught in kuwait but it was cool though because that's you know and i believe in the persian gulf is the only place you can catch those queen's fish no 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 you can catch, catch them in the red sea too you can catch them there you can catch them as far um as australia Really? Yeah, they're oh. it's like a big Pacific Indian fish. Yeah. It was pretty neat. It was pretty neat. Uh, I remember posting a picture of me kissing one, and a lot. Of, I think uh, uh, Peter Agerty of uh, Florida Camo he had commented on there thinking I was I was kissing one of those. Uh, I don't know what you want to call them, not skipjacks, but pumpkins. No, not pumpkins. I don't know what it is. It's that. It's a, it's like poisonous. It's in the bay. You catch them at the Skyway a lot. Like, and, pumpkin seeds, aren't they? Yeah, it, I or think the it's skip jack or whatever it, it's them. it's whatever you want to call them. It's the it's the jack looking fish that has those two really two, sharp spines yes, underneath their belly. Just got two. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I it, call them skipjack. Yeah, I that's what I call them too. I don't know, but uh, he but thought the I was queen kissing. Fish had the same thing. He thought I was kissing one of those. Right. Uh, which I don't have. I don't have the audacity to ever do that, uh, so it was kind of funny. I try not to touch the skipjack every time I accidentally. I usually don't put them back in the water alive. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know, another good way to do it. You know, it's the same thing with catfish. Oh, My daddy catfish. never took a, a catfish off the line alive. Mm. You weren't going back in the water to reproduce. I, I view catfish, and I know we had this discussion the other day, and we could talk about it again. I have the same view of, of catfish as I do sharks. I never purposely go out to try to catch them. And when I do catch them, I'm very frustrated by that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not a fan. I get it. I get it. But, all right, yeah, so we hammered, hammered the deployment. That's That was nice to talk about. I wasn't planning on talking about that. But. Well, the good thing is we only have a couple months left in this, and uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to do any fishing where we're at. No, at, don't say at that. At the moment. Don't say that. I really hope we do. I'm not by the Red Sea right now. No, we're totally not by any water. Yeah. But if we were... Yeah, that would be super cool. I might have to go into town to try and buy some fishing rods, right? Because I left them all in Kuwait. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We'll fish. Hey, we'll, it'll buff out. Yeah, it'll buff out. We'll, we'll figure it's it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, so going over, I know we played that video, a little montage of Johnny Allen on Blue Court Outdoors, and that first video is your first big peacock you caught mm-hmm. when we were in Miramar. On the 5G, that was that was actually duty. in a place that we weren't supposed to be fishing in. No, no. That? Remember the FWC would fly planes and, right. and call the cops or yeah. whatever. So that, that was down in South Florida. We we can go over how that whole trip even started too, with uh with going to COVID and yeah, how we all got called up to it eventually. And yeah, no, they took volunteers and right. um, after two days, volunteer status became everyone's going. Yeah, and we went down to Miramar. 
I remember being at work and uh, Flick had called me up on the phone and he had said, hey, you know, he was working for Ford at the time and he had, uh, things were really slow, it was that time of year where they're just not having a lot of sales and he had called me up and he was like, hey, they're asking for volunteers for this COVID thing. This was March 2020 when it first started becoming a thing mm-hmm. and they started opening testing sites in South Florida and he was like, hey, do you want to volunteer with me? And I had this big push at work and I really didn't want to be there for it. So yeah. I was like, sure, why not? Everyone's going to eventually get called up anyway. We might as well go a, a couple days early. So we ended up going, and we ended up getting attached to uh, a different unit. And when we first got down to South Florida, we were staying at uh, Hilton in Fort Lauderdale, which was right on the water, mm-hmm. which is awesome because some of the guys that were had been staying there already for about a week or two were catching tarpon and snook right off the dock. That's nuts. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. So and the fact like, that you're getting paid. And you're getting paid the whole time. Yeah. And at the time, this again, things were just kicking off, so these testing sites weren't even open yet. No. So we were down there on federal orders, mm-hmm. making federal money yeah, yeah, to not have a job. And if people don't probably know what the difference is, state orders versus federal orders are completely different things. State, or let's say federal, they pay you because you're paid by the, the United States of America to do a job, and they pay you, they pay you pretty good. The state, when they want to pay you, uh, you're, you're pretty much broke. I mean, you probably work an entire day for like $120, like if you were back in high school or something. I mean, it's the worst. But it's we were lucky that it was federal federal orders. Title 10, I believe yeah. they call it. Title 10. And that was nice. But yeah, we, I, I met y'all down there. Uh, when we got forced to do it, they put you back in our unit like you were supposed to be. And we were, everyone got their own hotel rooms because of the 5G. They didn't want anybody being close to each other. That was the best. Some guys got apartments in the Radisson next door. I was at the Marriott. Um, look at us, mm-hmm. you know, because yes. that was the saying for that whole. Got a tattooed on me, too. That's right. You got a, that, the saying for that whole deployment was, look at us. I mean, we're, <laughs> you know. Anyone we're, that's seen the Paul Rudd meme when he's eating hot wings on a date with himself. Yeah. And he says, look at us. Look at us. Look at us. And he says, say it again. Look at us. <laughs> But uh, we decided we, I had a van checked out to myself and um, all these fishing, I mean, South Florida's got a lot of fishing. And so we decided to go to Walmart, buy some fishing tackle and some rods. And we just started hammering all the local canals and ponds and stuff. And <clears throat> we were, the goal was to try and catch peacocks. And then we started catching little peacocks and then it became, all right, now we got to start really catching these big ones. And it was cool to catch them. It was the first time I'd ever purposely fished for them. Actually, not, I'm not going to say that. It's the first time I ever fished for them, ever. And I guess it was just that time of year where they were bedded up, breeding season or something, because were, you were spot fishing mm-hmm. for these peacocks. You'd walk up a bank and you'd see them on their beds. And anything you'd throw at them, they were so aggressive, they would hit it eight, nine times. And on the 10th throw, they would finally get right. hooked and you'd bring them up. And they were badass. Well, South Florida is super cool because anyone that's been down there and fished it, it's all man-made canal systems and man-made ponds and, yeah. and small lakes and, and stuff like that. So it's really amazing because... It, and it's great for peacock fishing, especially around that time of year when they're bedded up like that because if you're standing on the bank of a pond or the bank of a canal, about five to ten feet out is this ledge. Mm-hmm. And on that ledge is where the peacocks sit, and that's how you can spot fish them so easily because they're right right there on the surface. Mm-hmm. And after that ledge, it just has a straight drop down. Yeah, no one knows what's down there. No, no one knows what's down there. I don't want to find out. Yeah, China. <laughs> it's yeah. on the other side. So it was pretty amazing to, to go into these canals and see. And, you know, South Florida's got amazing fishing in those canals you know what you got the bowfish you got clown knife fish you got uh snakeheads you got peacock you got bass, gars everywhere regular gars. bass large regular largemouth bass yeah. all, brim shell crackers i actually caught the biggest shell cracker i've ever seen in my life down there you did yeah. i did it was huge and I, I don't think i posted 
posted a picture of it because I was like in uniform and I wasn't supposed to be fishing. But again, I bend a lot of rules and I went fishing. And it, it was I remember catching it, saying, "This is the biggest damn shellcracker I've ever seen in my life." And uh, I want to say that they're called like reddier sunfish or something weird like that. Mm-hmm. But I just grew up calling them shellcrackers, and there was it was a lot of fun. And we had I some think, we had some big carp in there too. Do you remember that? Yeah, but right I, down the road from the hotel that we were staying at, I remember. Um, I hooked, I believe, two of them. I never landed either of them because they were just way too big for the uh, ultralight setup that we had for these peacock bass. But, yeah, they had some pretty big carp in there, too. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty fun. I remember kept hooking what I think was a sick catfish, big old blue cat. Yeah. He was about That's on. We have that on a blue cord episode. I don't think I put it on there. I think we did. No, I didn't. No? I think I posted a picture of it. I don't think I actually put mm-hmm. it on there. Footage was kind of lame. But in that time frame, I was able to make four blue cord videos and that started off season three which season three was all fishing so you had peacock one two three and four and then the fifth video was beach snook fishing and that was we did five videos actually for that season strictly off of that trip and uh season um peacock one was the one we just showed mm-hmm. where it shows you catch that that big one uh peacock two i remember catching these peacocks and uh i had a bad knot on my this really badass chartreuse rooster tail that I was able to uh, where I got broke off on and Bonanno caught the fish and when he pulled it up sure enough it was the fish that had my chartreuse rooster tail on it so I was able to get that That back Uh, you can see from the videos too we progressively got better (laughs) at fishing them yeah the more uh, I think the spots got better they did and then uh, episode 3 was uh, me and you walking that massive man made pond behind the Benihana Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A there and uh, you start off with these tiny little fish, and then as you work your way around, they get bigger, which was cool. And then episode uh, Peacock 4 was all of our biggest ones. And it was all of a mesh of different days, but they're our biggest fish. Right. And there were some, some fish we caught that weren't filmed that were big, too. You know, I got pictures of, and I think we went through my phone just the other day and just seeing how big these fish were oh, and how so many, many we were caught. I caught 100 of them, right. you know, and they were good. And then I ended up finishing Blue, uh, Blue Cord's episode five which was peacock four with big bertha which was a massive just probably around five pounds uh peacock which i went after twice she broke me off one time accidentally foul hooked her when she i guess i jolted her or something she got scared and my little speck jib which called a little jiggly popper but just a tiny little speck rig hit her in the side she went straight down like you said on that ledge on those limestone ledges and just kind of broke the line went back there a couple days later and there she was Mm -hmm. caught her and uh, she had that spec jig still on her side, so I pulled it out there and got pictures with her. She was cool. She was bad. I thought about getting her mounted too because she was just a, yeah. she was a badass fish. I ended up getting her tattooed on me, which yeah, was did. nice. I got her with tattooed. The COVID mask. Yeah, with a little COVID mask because that was that mission, you know. So well, fishing for those was was awesome because that's a once in a lifetime type of fish you get to go after because they're not everywhere. You know, no, they're, they're only, only down they there. They only stay in that really warm water in South Florida. So I want to say they get maybe as far north as Fort Myers-ish, and even then you're talking about them freezing in the water right? because it gets too cold because they were brought in by FWC from South America for, as, a, as an extra game fish, and uh, they flourished really good. And they're not evasive. They're really cool to catch. I'm sure people eat them because people are crazy. People cra- do eat them all the time. Yeah, people are crazy. I don't, uh, you know, I wasn't looking to try and eat one from the back of Benihana or nothing, no. but I'm assuming a lot of people have. Hell, Benny Hahn is probably serving peacock bass. <laughs> to be honest with you, <laughs> they got it flipping up on the grill right now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And then we hit the beach uh, snook fishing video where um, 
I think I got a ticket once. Uh, we, we did. I, the cops came and broke us up one time, and then I told them to go over to you and act like you were the le- the <laughs> ringleader of the whole thing and to arrest the you. The lowest ranking person there. And yeah. I, and, I'm about to get arrested. Yeah, yeah. And he went. He was, like, super cool. He's like, yeah, what's his name? I was like, Alan. And just see if you can arrest him. And he went down there and damn near <laughs> came, arrested you. came up to me and said, you Alan? I said, uh, yes. He goes, uh, I'm going to have to cite you for this, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. I said, me? <laughs> Again, it was one of those, what, why? <laughs> me, of all people. Yeah, you're getting cited for fishing. You're getting uh, picked upon to lead the charge in a ballistic missile crisis. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's all the same. You know, I've become very important yeah. for some random reasons. Yeah. All via mistake. But uh, we, you were able to catch some snook off the beach, some jacks off the beach. We were catching ladyfish. It was just a fun, fun video. It's kind of the video's a little distorted with audio just because of the wind blowing, but it's still so much fun. Those those videos were more of a crime of opportunity. We were able to get the van, go out there, yeah, get on the beach, and it was like, hey, let's yeah, let's break out the camera. However, however fish. we can catch fish, let's just catch and them. What was really fun was when we went up to Boynton Beach and parked the truck, and we were able to go out onto that pier. Yeah, uh, I guess it was like almost like a jetty, and went out there, and I remember looking down and seeing just some of the biggest jacks I had ever seen in my life. Yeah, you know, just massive jacks. I, unfortunately, they were at a casting range, and I was not going to be able to get them on the ultralight rigs that we had. But being able to go up even further and watch the waves break on the beach, which were pretty—it was a pretty, you know, two three foot waves breaking on the beach. They're pretty big. No, oh, yeah, it was. and everything we were throwing out there, we were unable to break the waves to be able to get down to the snook that you could see underneath them um, because there were these beautiful slot snook just hanging out on the shore and I threw on a bucktail jig and threw it out was able to break through the waves bounce it off the bottom and sure enough got whacked and yeah. we were able to get that that snook up and sure enough it was a slot snook mm-hmm. and That's I remember awesome. when we got it up over the railing of that jetty uh, as soon as we pulled it up over the line snapped yeah so it was perfect timing yeah that would have been uh that would have broke some hearts for sure but that was a lot of fun that was a lot of fun and then it was uh we got done with that after like two months and then i'm sorry we're diving into a lot of army stuff too but like and and i'm not going to dive too much into the other things but like immediately after that we came home for three days got called up to go to what we call dc1 where they we had to mob up again we went to um back to leesburg then that night we went to tampa stayed in raymond james stadium that was cool. And had to, because of the riots and uh, the George Floyd riots, yeah. guard some stuff in Tampa. Then we were like, oh, okay, we're done. We're going back to Leesburg. Nope. The next morning we jumped on a, a C-130, or a C-17, that is, yeah. and flew to D.C. And uh, That was fun because as soon as we landed at Andrews Air Force Base, we got out, and you could see all the Air Force One planes. Yeah. They were just parked there. Yeah, all so the this Air is Force where they keep one. them, huh? Yep, that's it. I'm like, I don't know where we're at right now, but this seems important. Yeah, very. And uh, then we were there for a few days as well. So you're talking about being gone from the house for two months, come home for three. I remember I was at the beach, and I was like, oh, I just want to get away. Mm-hmm. So me and the family went to the beach for the weekend, and uh, I, I, st- I was still there when I got the call to leave, and I was just so miserable. But DC1 was cool, and we got to see some of the sites real quick, uh, stayed in hotels again. We were there for about four days, I think, something around there, and flew home. Mm-hmm. And then there was DC-2 for the inauguration, which was you know, a handful of months later in January, which was freezing cold and snowed freezing on us, and we slept every night in the basement of the Thomas Jefferson Memorial. That was pretty cool. It because was they haunted. Had the, for anyone that knows what was going on during the inauguration, obviously there were thousands of troops up there for the inauguration, and our unit was, uh, our platoon actually, was designated to guard the uh, Jefferson Memorial. The Jeff. 
the Jeff. And all of the monuments and memorials were all off limits to civilians at the time because they, it was increased security and everything. Um, this was after the January 6th incident. That's why everything was so secure. So we slept in the, in the Jefferson Memorial, and while we did shifts pretty much patrolling around it, you had the whole memorial to yourself. So you could go up and stand right next to the statue of Thomas Jefferson, and you were all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was. And we was did crazy. that for everything because after the Jeff, we then uh, we went to the Lincoln, mm-hmm. which was called the Link, which was the uh, not the actual inauguration day, but it was the day after. Mm-hmm. So we were in the basement of the the Lincoln and had that to ourselves. That night we ended up walking all of the Vietnam Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, World War II Memorial. All that stuff was just for us to to guard. And there I am, you know, in full kit, Kevlar my rifle walking these monuments yeah. and it was just, i don't know if it's surreal or what it is maybe it, you you don't realize how important that place is in those Very, monuments yeah. and and here i am in the army doing army things guarding these when you're patrolling them at night yeah it kind of throws you it throws you for a loop yeah especially and, the vietnam memorial yeah you're walking by that and you could see your reflection yeah full kit yeah off of it so i don't I don't know. It sounds cheesy, but that was one of the, the coolest, most important things I've ever done mm-hmm. was guard those. Uh, and I would have guarded them until the end. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. You know, I'm sitting there at, you know, at the Lincoln, and people are walking up calling us faggots. And uh, it's part of my French, but I'm just saying what he said. And uh, I remember the little boss was there. And they who are you talking to? Yeah, yeah, he goes, hey, who are you talking to? <laughs> Who's been talking to you? You know, trying to make a lot of the situation. And then uh, I think – that day that the guys were kicked out of the Capitol building was the day uh, Governor DeSantis called us and said, "We're never, we're you're right. leaving tomorrow," and we were we were gone the next so morning. What was super funny about that? Not this is the last thing I'm going to say about it, but the I don't know if you remember when we were on our way up there for DC Part Two for the inauguration. There was that whole uproar on social media about um, because a picture had gotten released of some soldiers sleeping on the floor of a parking garage. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we went up there, they told us we were going to be sleeping in a park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was like, I remember looking at it on social media, and there was so much outrage for these guys sleeping in a parking garage. I said, at least they're getting a building. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're about to go sleep in a park. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, and that's the thing. When people see, saw all those pictures of soldiers sleeping on the floor and stuff, I'm like, what you're, what you're not understanding is those are some dudes racking out right mm-hmm. now, having some good-ass sleep. And even us, we had these amazing hotels, but we never slept in them. No. We slept at the Jeff. Mm-hmm. We went to those hotels to shower, and I'm not going to get into some sort of uproar on what everyone spends their taxpayer dollars on because I'm super appreciative of the hotel. But I never slept in it. No. And, uh, but when I saw those pictures of those guys sleeping on, at the Capitol building on the floor on the tile next to those busts and all that stuff, I'm like, those dudes are comfortable. And these dudes, these people are freaking out. Oh, they deserve better. I don't need better. I just need, I need time. That was give me, give me a couple hours to say, hey, you, from this time to this time, don't worry about anything. You guys rack out. And we're racking out. And we're happy as hell. They made the best out of the best situation because it was a heating. I remember talking. We were actually talking to a guy who was here on deployment who was there in that uh, parking garage yeah. during the COVID. And he said, yeah, it was a heated parking garage. It was, it was beautiful in there. Yeah. And I said, well, that's nice because we were freezing our balls off at the Jefferson Memorial. Yeah, which, uh, again, I love sleeping at the Jeff. It was super haunted, too. I don't know if anyone knows this. I think it's in the top ten most haunted places in all of D.C., and I get it. I get it. I was sleeping at the by elevator. an elevator, Yeah, and the elevator would just come down randomly, open up, ding, close doors, come back up. It would do it four or five times a night, and then the, everything in the pipes, the, the pipes made a lot of Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was That was something. 
it, it was a cool experience, you know, um, just thousands of soldiers every five feet standing guard on that on the mall area. It was just nuts. But again, wouldn't wouldn't change for anything. It's a great experience yeah, to have had. So, uh, all right, we're, moving on. Though. Are we after, done with the military after, talk? After the military talk, let's, <laughs> let's get into some good stuff. Yeah, which was I want to talk about uh, you being able to take me out on some of my first hunting trips ever. I did do that. Yeah. So yeah, so I had uh, five acres in Plant City that um, had some hogs on there and. Uh, I called up old J-Bob here one time. I was like, hey, I need a cameraman. He shows up immediately every time. And I think we went like four times having never seen one. And that's where you dubbed yourself the greatest cameraman that's never filmed anything. Exactly. We have some awesome footage that's never been aired by Blue Court of us just sitting in a blind waiting on some pigs to show up. Yeah, and they never do. Hmm. So. They did They did show up the last two times we were out there. Mm-hmm. We did get to... I never laid my eyes on them, but I definitely for sure heard them, Yeah, which was pretty awesome. And that's what kind of gave me the bug. Yeah, because we were hunting in the blind, and that particular spot I had um, two Moultrie green light motion lights um, on pile of corn. And there was also like some residual corn I had over to my right, which was like 35, maybe 30 yards away. And I had had these... Uh, solar power powered lights on my feeder before but we were when we were gone in Miramar the feeder went out and a storm came through knocked the feeder over and it crushed the lights so the lights haven't run on solar power just never stopped working they just just laid there on the ground so I told him I was like I had my bow and I said look the hogs are gonna come in from our right to our left and as soon as they get into this light and start eating this corn I'm gonna smoke one and that's the that's the video well I could hear them eating to my right he just didn't know how far away that was and it was relatively close as soon as I took them to see, show them where they exactly were eating. And when hogs eat corn, they just sound like they're drinking water. You know, it's like, crazy <laughs> sounds. Yeah. You know, not to get too in depth with how that sounds. Yeah, it sure sounds, it sounds nice. Yeah, it sounds nice to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a mouth thing. It's a mouth thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a mouth thing. It sounds really cool though, and especially in the pitch black where you can't see them, you're like, oh, I know they're right there. Yeah, they're super loud. And you're just waiting. So the problem is that one Artisan light I was talking about, which I did a review of it on YouTube. Um, and then out of nowhere, it kind of got like three, four thousand views, and then everyone was asking me, "Well, how's it work?" You know, is it you know? And I'm like, Truth, truthfully, I don't know because it got destroyed and it's over with. Uh, I can't, I couldn't even finish it. But the, it was laying on the ground, so these pigs finally make their way from right to left, and I can see the not the silhouette, but you you know your eyes adjust and you kind of see dark, dark figures, and I can see them coming. And one passes by it, going straight to the corn to the moultrie light, just like I wanted. And there's four or five pigs here. Well, the second one kicks this motion light that's on the ground still. And when it kicks it, it turns the light on. And the kicking and the bright light all at one time scared all the pigs away. And they hauled ass and they were gone. And I told you, hey, they're not coming back. But I was furious because that damn light being on the ground. And I could have easily just moved it, but I left it there. And I told you, I said, let's come back tomorrow. Bring your shotgun. Mm -hmm. I'll bring my shotgun. Don't worry about filming anything because I'll put the camera on a tripod and we're going to smoke everything that comes out here because <laughs> I was so pissed off. And I had an abundance of pigs, so smoking three or four pigs wasn't a problem to me. Yeah. And uh, the next night they came out, and I think they what they did is they, they caught my scent or caught our scent or something happened, a, a change in the wind, and they freaked out and they ran all the way around us to the point where they actually hit the blind charging around, and that was it. Yeah. That was done. That was it. But you had... Uh, you would experience what it's like to be hunting in the dark cool. for pigs. Mm -hmm. And like I said, going from you know having never 
really hunted before um, going out there, your perception of what is happening around you is really skewed. Yeah. Um, especially in the dark. Mm-hmm. So trying to listen to everything that's going on, you know, you hear squirrels in the background. You're like, oh, was that was that a pig? You know? No, and it's squirrels, not a squirrel. Squirrels an arch enemy. I don't know if you remember one of the uh, first times we went out there, we almost smoked a raccoon. Yeah. Do you remember that big raccoon? Yes. We had looked. We had set up a new spot that was kind of away from the blind. Um, and we were just sitting out in the open behind some palmetto bushes. Mm-hmm. And we had saw this figure come into the light and started eating the corn. And I said, that's got to be a pig. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's huge. So you set up a shot with your bow. And I started filming. And and I went to stalk it. Yeah. And you go, that's a raccoon. I said, there's no way. That to, this day, to this day, it's the biggest raccoon I've ever seen. Huge. It's got to be 30 pounds. Oh, it's massive. And I was like, oh, it's probably a piglet. I'll smoke the shit out of this piglet. And I was like, all right, well, if there's a piglet, then the mom's around. So I was like, going to hold off. And then, yeah, I got to within like... 15 yards of it and sure enough it was a raccoon he turned around saw his face yeah damn that's crazy. yeah that was that was something that was something but then i ended up getting a quota hunt in north florida and i called for you to come with me and you did and we we went and it was a four-day hunt uh this is last year and i uh i was going to record which was my last hunt before this deployment so i call it florida series it's in season four and um that's some of the some of the best hunting videos there of season four too because it was just I, I did a lot a lot of filming because I knew this was my last one and I really wanted to make it intricate and the goal was to shoot a deer mm-hmm. you know I was titled the first episode was titled at Light, at last light because I was going to actually make a documentary and call it at last light you can kind of signify like my last hunt last light da 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 so they called you up we uh, I pretty much showed you how you scout like what's the purpose of getting the quota in that that first day prior to the scout day you scout everything you're you're hanging stands the the cameras are up you're kind of seeing you're looking for paw beds buck sign really like i I mean you could see a lot of deer tracks everywhere but i was looking for buck sign and i could have shot a doe that weekend and i would have shot a doe that week but the i wanted a buck you know and uh i think the first day we set up on just a fire trail um because there were some bucks showing up on camera and i didn't want to go in any further knowing that there's bucks there within an hour of us getting there so we set up on a fire trail where we saw that otter. Yeah. Like, see an otter for the first time in, on land. Looking at it, what the hell is this <laughs> thing doing out here? Yeah. yeah, just crossing the fire break. Um, and I think we set up, we never left the woods, but we just set up on a, uh, in a little chop on some pines right outside of these persimmons, which would have been a great spot, but nothing was in shooting range. So that's when we went to Uncle D, Uncle Dwayne, told him the situation. He was getting annoyed that we weren't killing anything. <laughs> so he came out, and we went and scouted some new areas. And we all set up in our own spots. And I think we hunted on the ground one night, but the wind was whipping like crazy, and I just didn't want to be in there with that wind whipping. And we, yeah, it was, we, at, our, it was at our backs, too, so it yeah. wasn't helping. No. But that was a really good spot, though, because we did end up um, seeing a lot of uh, – we did see that one eight-point come up on the camera at that one spot that, that was, was after we left break. too that was after right. we had walked out like 30 minutes after we walked out and there was still a little light left he showed up mm-hmm. right before dark so it, i mean you could play devil's advocate you say oh well if you stayed you would have shot him well do i know that because the wind was blowing right at where he was at we don't have gps bit. trackers on these deer no if we did things they're would be not great easier. white sharks in the they're atlantic not, you no. know what i mean like i can't track these things no. you don't see lisa the great white show up but we knew that we knew that that was going to be a good spot because when we went to scout it we went down that fire break and where we were set up was right on the edge of the woods in that cow pasture Mm -hmm. and as soon as we walked up to it we saw that massive scrape yeah and as we were looking at that scrape 
those does popped up out of the woods and started hightailing it yeah, out. Yeah, it was like five does show yeah, up. And, and that was your that was your first time seeing an animal while hunting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you said that's what they look like. Yeah, it's in that it. little little John Allen preview yeah. this morning. They, that's what those are deer. And you're mm-hmm. like, those are deer. And yeah. there's a huge difference because me growing up in New Jersey, I grew up on uh in the Appalachian Mountains where, you know, you can look out on any given day and there'd be thirty deer outside your yeah. back door. Yeah. So there's a huge difference between just seeing them on a daily basis versus when you're trying to hunt for them. Mm-hmm. Because when you're trying to hunt for them, you're like, I gotta smoke this thing now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We need to get as close as possible and try to smoke the crap out of this deer. Uh, that was your first time being that high, being thirty foot up being in a climber. In a tree stand, period. Which for me, having never, you know, hunted period, besides going out with you for hogs, was a hell of an experience because mm-hmm. I had never really had a fear of heights my whole life, but mm-hmm. being that high up in a tree stand that's pretty relatively unstable, and when you're sitting up there, two people per tree, and the wind's pushing you all around, and you're swaying back and forth, and you know, it, it gets a little sketchy when you're up it there. It does. It gets very sketchy. Yeah. I'm definitely scared of heights, and it, so it boggles my mind that I like hunting in trees and um, being a fireman on a ladder. Yeah. Can't, it's, it blows my mind. But, but being up that high is a really unique way of hunting, too, because you're not... I, I know for you, being the one taking the shot, you got to shoot completely differently too. Depends on how high you are. Yeah. Uh, you have to you have to understand your aim point is different. So let's say, all right, if I'm shooting on like one of those, I don't know if you've ever seen a Glendale buck target, but it's a full deer. Yeah, no, right. And to have the interchangeable vitals for when you're messing them up and stuff. But so, I put behind the front shoulder on a Glendale buck target. I'm hitting you're hitting straight across right through the vitals that you're wanting to if you're aiming at the same point say 30 feet in the air what you're going to do is possibly miss the vitals and just kind of hit the brisket on this animal Mm -hmm. and that's where you're going to get shit blood and stuff like that so you have to adjust a little bit like i need to know okay i got to shoot a little bit higher to come down on top of that on top of these vitals right so it's a it's a different ball game being up in a tree 100 percent uh same thing with shooting with the rifle except if if i'm shooting with a rifle usually if i hit the deer I can't see why I'm going to lose this deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm not shooting from like 500 yards like some people have, where you got to aim at the top of their back and and you know, and understand how how a bullet travels and stuff. But it, archery is pretty intimate versus rifle hunting, from what the little bit of experience I had with you doing it. Yeah, because they're because right there. You got to be so much closer, which yeah. means you got to take camouflage into account. You got to take your smell into account. You got to mm-hmm. take exactly you know your shooting lanes and everything which mm-hmm. is all stuff i learned just being out with you yeah your big hope days. is hoping that they're full on rutting and they're not looking for you or caring about you right. while they're on the smell of the dough and but, when we were out at lafayette they were still in a little bit of a pre-rut right yeah they i mean they were scraping and, and rubbing and stuff but they weren't they weren't truly chasing um florida ruts crazy you, different parts of the state rut all the way from july to to the end of february yeah. it's it's nuts no no other state does that but yeah, it was bow hunt's way more int- intimate, and as soon as you actually get a chance to draw back on a deer, but th- just think about the movement from aiming a rifle to a bow. The if your rifle is right here per se the entire time, it's just a cheek movement down. Exactly. With the bow, it's it's following, it's following, and then trying to draw back, and it's already depending on your bow. Say it's got a. Uh, 75 pounds 80 pounds you're pulling that back slow as possible on your shoulder and then trying to get it you know my name i got a new matthews uh v3 and it's got an 80 percent let off right there so it gets right here it's done right and i can hold a little bit longer and stuff but the hoyt i was using when we went 
I mean, it had a good let off, but towards the end, but I was also shooting 75 pounds and it was a little too far back for me personally. It wasn't right. So it's kind of like you got to lean back a little bit, but. You're also talking about being in that climber rifle versus uh, bow. You can just sit down and take that rifle shot. With a bow, you're standing. Yeah, and with being that close to, you got that deer coming right up on you. Now you got to take the time to be as quiet as possible, make as little movement as possible to stand up in the climber. And if anyone knows anything, when they go to take that shot with the climber, it's going to make a sound. Exactly. Yeah. All of a sudden. If you fart in the climber, it's making a sound, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah, that was a different experience uh, for you, I'm assuming. I mean, it had to have been. You'd never done it before. So then it came to the point where Uncle Dwayne was up there, and he was tired of us not shooting anything, so he took us scouting. We ended up all just kind of separating, and you can see in that little montage of you in the beginning, um, you're waving a crossbow up in the air, and I say, you know, Alan's gone from cameraman to crossbow hunter just a matter of three days. Yeah, Yeah, and that's what happened. So then we showed you where to put your stand. I mean, I think me and you actually walked back there, Maurice and Uncle D started slaying the we did that was in that the, the bush at the at the truck mm-hmm. they're killing bucks because they had a little buck head on <laughs> and uh and i was showing you I, I think i told you like hey they're going to come from this side and they're going to move from this swamp they're going to go towards this little water watering hole area over here and sure enough that's what they that's did exactly what they ended up doing i remember that was in the that oak canopy so i was up in the oak tree which was even sketchier to climb in a climber yes because it doesn't sink those teeth in as, mm. as far as you'd like it to mm-hmm. so i remember the whole time climbing up to roughly about 25 30 feet up into that canopy it was sketchy the whole time yeah really sketchy the whole time but i learned a lot just in those three days or four days of how to control my scent how to camouflage myself properly and uh, we were using that scent away, the same stuff we used to hunt pigs, mm-hmm. and that worked perfectly. And then we had the Florida camo on, which was comfortable as hell, thank God, Yeah, because of how hot it was. Yes, it's perfect. It's in all, all ways it can be. It's perfect. It's got a perfect pattern, especially if you look at the hammock. It's even got pine needles on it. That um, The owner of Florida camo's name is Peter Agerty, and he draws it. Uh, he's a great artist, too, and super nice fellow. But he... And then I wear palmetto, which even looks looks great in the tree as well. Yeah. But you were wearing hammock that day, and no, it'll save you from heat exhaustion alone. Because in Florida, I mean, you could be bow hunting in the stand July thirty first, depending on where you are in zone A or what quotas you pull. So half your season is sweat is sweating a lot, lot. more than half. You know, the North Florida maybe at the in November you're you're feeling chilly and cold, but. in during rifle just season, to be able but. to have some breathability up there especially being in a canopy in a canopy like that where there's no air movement at all Mm-mm. being able to sit up there and be somewhat comfortable was mm-hmm. that was that was nice yeah and so we had that i had the scent controlled had the camouflage controlled i was up high enough and i knew all of that to be the case because by the time some life started happening around me the raccoons were coming out right up to the tree i was on had a bobcat come out on me, mm-hmm. which was a pretty cool experience because I did get him on film too. Um, behind me where I was sitting in the tree stand was a swamp. And out in front of me was where exactly where he told me the deer was going to come, and he eventually did. And while I was sitting there, this was uh, probably around 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, it was still light out, and I hear some rustling from the, the trail coming behind me that was wrapping around the swamp. And I look back, and sure enough, there's a bobcat right there. And he's walking down the trail, walking down the trail, and he comes right up to the tree I was in. And he keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps walking off. And about 20, 30 minutes later, I hear him killing birds and squirrels in the swamp <laughs> behind me. So it was awesome, and I, I didn't think anything of it until afterwards I told Uncle Dwayne about that. 
and he had told me, oh, you, you had your stuff under control because those bobcats apparently have a hell of a sense of smell and they're really good with all their surroundings. So the fact that I was up in that tree moving around, videotaping them and everything, and he had no idea I was there. Yeah. I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. Either, uh, so I remember uncle also said, you know, make sure you sit till dark because mm -hmm. the deer are going to move at dark. And that's what they did on you. That's what they did right in that spot. I had a, a sunset had come and it had, the sun had just gone down. So there was a little bit of light left. And I saw Uncle Dwayne pull up to the fire break in my truck. Which he loves your truck. He does love my truck. He yeah. took that. Uncle Dwayne would just drive around Lafayette while we were all hunting. And he took, what, what kind of truck do you got? I got a 2019 Ford F-150. And it's all lifted, beautiful tires, leather. I mean, this truck is immaculate. And Uncle Dwayne got his hands on his truck while we were in the woods, and he would just drive around, and he was talking about He's like, man, I was taking this thing into some water. It's like a little tank, you know. I didn't even have to get in a four-wheel drive. He's driving. This. So every time he would pick us up in this truck, his brand-new truck, it was completely covered in mud. There would be scratch, scratches on branches from it. And, uh, and as soon as he was... told me he took it through the swamp, I said, you did what with it? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I had been babying that thing so long <laughs> because it's, it is a brand new truck to me. And when I bought it, it only had 19,000 miles on it. And uh, the place that I bought it from had completely remodeled it. So they, they put a whole new interior in it, lifted it, put tires on it and everything. So it was a brand new truck. Mm -hmm. And I was like... Ooh, this this is going to be clean always. Yeah. Until you give it to Uncle Dwayne. Yeah, and Uncle <laughs> yeah. Dwayne, he's ripping heaters in it like nobody's <laughs> business. Hammering beers are so – every time we got back, Uncle Dwayne would pick us up. We'd have to stop and get beer because he drank all of our beer. <laughs> and he says, that's just the price you pay, you know what I mean, for having an Uber driver in the woods. So, so, yeah, he pulls up in my truck. <laughs> yeah, pulls up in the muddy – Pulls up in the muddy, scratched-up truck, yeah. which I, I was able to clean it all off and got the, the little bit of scratches out of from the tree branch. So – Everyone that's wondering, the truck is fine. She's back to brand new. <laughs> We're going to keep her that way. Um, so he pulls up in the truck, and as he pulls up, I hear the little footsteps of that deer. And you told me, you know, you really got to pay attention to when these deer come out because they do sound like squirrels. They're very light on their feet. They're very aware of where they're walking through, and they don't make a lot of noise, mm -hmm. which threw me for a loop because – all the little, all the wildlife that's in in the woods like that—the squirrels, the raccoons, possums—you know, whatever armadillos that we were seeing—they're all pretty quiet, but they're also pretty small. And you get a big animal like that that's, you know, breaking brush and hardly making any more sound than a squirrel was—it's it's crazy. Yeah, and deer all, will always take the um, path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. So, if if there's a lot of brush and the, the ability for them to not have to break brush as the term would be they'll take that yeah so they're not going to make a, a hell of a lot of noise no. your bucks might because they might uh because their antlers hitting branches and stuff or they might be rubbing or scraping or something like that but most deer are, are going to take that easier route and even when you shoot them they'll take that route almost to go exactly the way they came mm -hmm. sometimes so, yeah, they, you have to pay attention to it, and it's the knowledge of what they sound like, too, which is... Right. And it almost sounds like they're going quickly, but it's just four feet moving at a slow pace, and they're going to be quiet as all hell. They're not breaking branches. They're not doing anything. They're And they're skinny. The Florida deer are skinny. You know, a, a nice... Uh, your average Florida buck, if he's three years old, is probably like 120 pounds. and But he's not wide, you know, so he's able to get through these tiny little areas... Right. You know, without uh, hardly making a sound. Without hardly and making a sound. And that's exactly what I had experienced right then. 
So it was very low light conditions and I couldn't see exactly where he came from, but I had heard him come from, you know, a little bit, a little bit of ways off, maybe, I don't know, 50 yards, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a pretty dense area that I was sitting in in that canopy, mm -hmm. uh, but they did open up into a couple trails that yeah. those deer had made. So I knew there was a lot of, a lot of areas he could have gone to and I had a lot of good shooting lanes uh, with the crossbow that I had. Um, and I hear him coming and I knew it was a deer because of what you had told me, what to listen for. And the way he was walking, it just sounded ever so slightly different than all the other stuff I had been hearing. He sounded a little bit different than that bobcat. He sounded a little bit different than the raccoons. And he sounded a little bit different than the squirrels that were going crazy all around me. Which that was, that, that hunting trip too was also when I realized that squirrels bark at you. Yes. When you're up in the trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had they never let, seen the, They let all the woods, they let you know that they see you. Right. <laughs> they sure shit saw me. Yeah. I, I came very close to wanting to shoot a few of them too because they were giving me away. That's why uh, in, if you ever look at my quiver when I go bow hunting, I always keep one with a field point. Oh, I love that. For squirrel or raccoon. Mm -hmm. In case they annoy me enough. Yeah, they were really getting on my nerves then. Yeah. Really getting on my nerves. So I heard him coming, and he ended up coming closer and closer and closer, and I still hadn't seen him, but I can hear him coming closer to me. And this was at low light, so I had already started packing my stuff up. So I took the I took the, the arrow out of the crossbow, I put it in my backpack, I started getting everything ready to climb down, and I had my red lens on and my headlamp. And when I heard him coming, you know, I stopped everything, and I started getting everything out nice and slowly, so I'm struggling to get everything back in, because at this point, you know, that, that feeling bef when you actually have something come out on you, is, it's kind of crazy. It was the first time I'd ever experienced that. Mm -hmm. Bump I'm shaking, yeah. yeah. And I'm shaking. I'm like, I got to get this. I got to get this. And I get everything set up. And by the time he got close enough to me, it was like almost pitch black. Yeah. And uh, it's over. I ended up spooking him. I don't know if I was just making too much noise, rustling around with everything, but he ended up taking off into the swamp. And I heard him. That's when he really started making some noise was when mm -hmm. he took off and went in there. But that was the first experience I had with a, a, a potential buck. I didn't, again, I didn't see it, so I didn't know what it was, but it was definitely a deer mm -hmm. come out on me like that. And uh, You're hooked yeah, now. I was it's hooked. over. I was hooked. It's over now. It's You've, over. You messed up. <laughs> I messed up. I've been fishing my whole life, and uh, the amount of money that I've dropped on fishing gear alone is is remarkable. My wife would kill me if she ever found out about it. <laughs> yeah. So now, now I got the itch for that. Uh -huh. It's going to be even worse. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome, dude. And you'll... Nothing will be when you first kill one. Right. And then there's the the anxiety of how long you have to wait to go get to go get the animal. And then if you're on a blood trail, it's the anxiety of, am I going to find it? And then when you can't find it, it's even worse. You might as well just keel over and die because that's the <laughs> feeling you have. I've lost one before, and it was the worst feeling. It was my first bow kill ever, and I lost that animal. Yeah. And it, great blood, great blood, but I probably hit liver, and the animal died like four days later. We could not catch up with this animal. And it was the last day of my hunt, and it started raining on us. And, I mean, we're looking for blood at midnight with the rain pouring on us, and, and the, the blood's gone at that yeah. point. So it's it's a shitty feeling, but to kill one is the greatest. Yeah. And hunting, hunting for deer reminds me a lot of tarpon fishing, um, which is the most elusive fish for me. It's my favorite fish of all time, and I've been fishing my whole life, and to this day have not landed one. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It reminded me a lot of tarpon fishing, the way that you go about it, trying to find them find out what they're eating, find out what they're doing. Um, and then, for me, you always end up hooking them, mm -hmm. and you just can't get them to the boat. Yeah. So that, that deer hunting reminds me a lot of that because it's a lot. Of, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of knowledge to figure out where they're going, what are they doing, 
What are they eating? The, the persimmons they were eating up. All those persimmons. Have, yeah, well, you find that, you find a gold mine. Right. You know, that's right. why I won't name where we're at. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't. I hate being stingy, but ain't none of y'all going to know where well, that just, is. Just like fishing spots, you know? I'm never giving out those coordinates. You yeah, me? I mean, I'm not going to blur out the background or nothing because I can guarantee you don't know what tree this is. No. But, uh, no, yeah. And then, so I ended up shooting out a doe that night, and I had three come in on me. It was a doe and two yearlings, and they were, like, frolicking in the water and stuff. And uh, I had a good viz behind me. It was an open chop. The problem is, is they came from that chop, and they came into the, the hammock I was sitting in, and I couldn't see them. So it was just a matter of, it was just because the light was so thick in there, it had such limited light. And then finally I was able to make one out, and I drew real quick, and, and I shot, mamped them like that, and I shot, and I heard this loud smash. I was like, oh, shiza, I think I might have hit diaphragm on one of these animals. So now I'm like freaking out. <laughs> this is all the same night, too. I think Maurice... Maurice uh, had drew drew back on one that he couldn't get. He, he, he like disappeared in the palmettas on and a six pointer. Yeah, yep. and he and he couldn't <clears throat> he couldn't take the shot either. It just so happened to be our last night all together. And uh, I went down and I ended up the loud crack is I hit like a four inch tree, and it I was shooting um, uh, FMJs and full metal jackets, and I was I was shooting fixed blades, uh, and it hit this thing so hard I think my whole arrow setup's like somewhere in like the 700 grain when it comes to weight it hits it so hard it split the tree in half and my arrow was just sitting on the ground mm -hmm. and it just split this tree the uh, broadhead uh, Magnus that's what it is I shoot a Magnus 125 grain bleeder blade buzz cut fuck all sex Whopper 5000 yeah, yeah. Whopper 5000 <laughs> and uh, it, it split the tree in half so that trip was over. It ended. It was great. It was fantastic. It, it made for about two episodes. We I remember we hunted in a blind and we saw the turkeys and it wasn't we turkey did. season. Mm -hmm. I remember I had to uh, had to go number two early in the morning on accident and that's where I made that little clip of uh, with the outdoor edge blades for cutting my yeah. underwear. That was a great, great little, <laughs> that was great. great little scene. But that that spot we had the blind set up where we saw the turkeys was the same spot that Maurice had that six point come out on. Yeah, that was uh that was just earlier. Yeah. yeah. So that was just the day prior. Uh-huh. And I ended up coming back two weekends later because um my uh Nate had the quota. So he brought me in and my wife's like, No, go, just go. You got two days, just go. I was like, Oh my god, girl, I love you. <laughs> and I head up there and uh he saw a bunch of great deer, great bucks. Uh one buck that I, I consider the the prettiest Florida buck I'd seen yet, ever. Um, on, he had showed it on camera, but it was just too damn far. I was like 80 yards away. And uh, I ended up finding – I ended up pulling out of the WMA because someone was hunting in my area. And I hunted a piece of private land. A buddy was letting me hunt. And it was right by the road. So when you're watching it, you, you just hear nothing but vehicles coming by. But I had a – there was like this dried-up creek bed to my right and then this chop to my left and hit – I saw a deer coming from my right from this creek bed and I thought it was a doe and I wasn't looking, could care less about antlers, I just wanted to shoot the animal. And I saw it come up so I was like, all right. And uh, of course my morning started with me bringing the wrong camera mount so I had my camera arm and everything but the camera wouldn't sit on it because I had the wrong mount. I had it for my tripod not the fourth arrow one that I had. So I just had to use my GoPro and the animal comes out at 35. I draw back 
and I thought he was going to take a right up the trail, so I was like, he was kind of quartered away, which was okay. Well, I was cool with that shot, and I drew back, shot, hits a branch, deflects down, deer bounds off, pull up my binos, and I look, and sure enough, it's like a like a six or a seven point, but he had these gorgeous, uh, gorgeous red antlers, and I remember just, oh, I felt so gross and so pissed off. It's funny you mentioned that was the last morning. That was the I was leaving at noon, you know, to go home. And it was the last morning, and I already had like kind of a garbage weekend. Nate was seeing some deer, um, I wasn't, and someone was hunting in my area. It's just it was a whole thing. So <clears throat> I remember it was on my phone, playing video games or whatever I was doing, and I hear something walking up behind me, and I turn around, and boom, there's a deer, another dove. Well, I think it's a dove. And I press record, stand up, and this deer comes to my tree, hangs a left, and I minked it. And when I minked it, it's at five yards. Mm. And here goes into that conversation we just had about where your, your aim point is. Now, yeah, aiming at 30 feet in the air is different. Now aim 30 feet in the air almost, almost, straight, down. almost straight down. Now you're going a little bit higher because you're going to come up on top right I draw back meet him he stops I let one rip send the meat missile goes right through the pump house I see the explosion of this deer's heart oh. and that's when I knew absolute hose job on my end boom I got the uh, brothers outdoors had sold me a uh, uh, my lighted knocks they they uh, what, what would you call it if it's just flicking colors I don't know it just changes between red and it was just blinking all over the place. And it was red and green. And I remember it was Christmas colors. And I remember thinking, like, well, here's the Christmas. You know, Santa's in town. Boom, right there. <laughs> and, it's gl- and I'm watching the deer bound. He's bounding and bounding. And I'm like, please go down. Please go down. Please go down. And the deer goes to take a left, gets to this big-ass bush. And you just see it completely on back legs fall right to its back. It hits one more like like that, which I, as much as I love hunting, I'm like, oh, come on, bro. Please die. Please <laughs> die. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to hear this no more. He falls on his back. I'm freaking ecstatic because – and that's why that video is actually titled fucking Redemption because I get redeemed of missing the doe two weeks prior. I get redeemed of missing this buck that I thought was a doe two hours prior, and now I just smoked one, right? I get down because I don't care to wait. I know he's dead. I'm staring at him. I get down. I grab it. And once you know it, it's a damn spike. So now I'm dealing with this like, oh, shit. Come on, man. Because when it comes to spikes, it, anything under five inches is considered antlerless dough. So it's still legal in, in bow season. And I'm not one to just sit here and take all a bunch of spikes, but this is my last hunt for a year anything with a heartbeat was going to get hosed it's funny you mentioned uh antlers i remember going out with you for that hunting trip and uh you had told me the last time i checked you can't eat the antlers no you can't so So it doesn't matter yeah yeah (laughs) where i come from you can't eat antlers so let's let's do this you know so i walk up to the animal i'm like okay because now i'm like freaking out because i am not the guy to be doing illegal illegal shit especially with my own show you know you have to you have to be cognizant of that. And again, I went into that morning not caring about antlers because both of these deer I thought were does. Both of them were bucks. All right, and I just I couldn't see. I wasn't paying attention to their head. So, luckily for me, 
I, uh, in the truck, keep a, um, I guess it would be like if you were to tape for like your belly to check belly fat and stuff. I have one of those and I was able to measure and I'm like, okay, he's, he's at five. Um, one side was short, one side was at five. I was like, okay, I have pushed this deer to the absolute limit, so let's get out of here. And uh, so what I did is when I had no cell service, so Nate, uncle, had no idea. So uncle knew to come pick us up from, uh, uh, we were off 340, and to come pick us up to when we were done hunting. I hid the deer behind, like, how did I tell you this? No, I don't think you did. No, okay. So this, all right, so no one knows the story except us three. So I hid the deer. I dragged the deer to where the uh, – like towards the driveway area. Dragged it over there, hid the deer. I put my climber there. I put my backpack there, all that stuff. And I was kind of just sitting just like 10 feet from it. Uncle pulls up. I grab uh, my backpack and my climber, and I put them in the truck. And I see Nate coming up. Nate comes up. Nate didn't see a damn thing. So I'm like, oh, it was all right. I missed one, this and that. And I'm like, damn it, dude. You know, you know, actually, they're kind of shitting on me. Like, oh, you suck. You know, whatever. <laughs> and I, uh, I go, actually, I forgot my camera over here. I'm like, all right. So I walk over there. I grab the deer by the antler. And I just start running with it, dragging this bastard towards the truck. And their faces, like their jaw has dropped because <laughs> they're like, what? I was like, let's go, boys. Let's go. It was so awesome, and I totally forgot to record it because I didn't want them catching on to me. But it was a, it was so damn funny. And Nate was freaking out, and there, this deer is covered in blood because of how good the shot was right on the heart. And I, uh, it, it was just so damn perfect. And we loaded him up, and we drove him back. And, uh, yeah, I was able to – I got away with some dumb shit that day with shooting a deer that was just right there. And, um, and that's where, so that thought process of like, I don't ever look at antlers. It's different now. I have to look at antlers. Yeah. Because I mean, this thing, it it was two weeks away from being five and a half inches, you know, and that's now we're talking about some good finds and to have your own show and be in trouble for shooting illegal deer is it's no me gusta. Okay. So, so I'm looking for bueno. I'm looking for bueno, muy bueno. And I was more bueno that night. So that, uh, that ended the Florida series. Nate ended up uh, shooting a massive deer in Kentucky. It's a dream buck. Uh, Cody shot a massive moose-like deer that year. Uh, I premiered my Georgia buck, which was my biggest buck at the time. Or not at the time. It's still my biggest buck. But premiered that. It was armadillo. They had a great armadillo hunting video. And that, then, that's a great one. That's <laughs> yeah, a great just hosing an armadillo coming through. And it's just so goofy. It's, it's perfect. But... That was it. That was that was our hunting season last year, and um, uh, I I absolutely can't wait to get back and yeah. and do it again. But yeah, we just got to get you all set up, man. Yeah, just get it all set up for hunting. Man. I always like it when a buddy gets the itch of the same shit I do, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then we just force the wives to be friends, and they just forced to hang out. Oh, they get along like gangbusters too. Which yeah, is great. hence why we're both going to Reba McIntyre when we get oh, back. Oh boy, <laughs> you want to hear a funny story? Oh gross. Oh, let's let's tell you about Reba. So my wife and her family are huge fans of Reba. Mm-hmm. So about two weeks ago, I get a text. I don't really like her all that much. I think she's kind of trash. Um, I get a text from my wife saying, hey, do you want to go to a Reba concert in Tampa in November? Right when we get home after the deployment. And I said, uh, absolutely not. That sounds awful. 
She goes, all right, fine, blah, 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 whatever. A week later, we're walking back from the gym, and you tell me, oh, yeah, Steph's making me go to a Reaver concert in Tampa in November. I go, no shit. <laughs> Casey tried to get me to go to that same one. He goes, you shouldn't have told me that. Guess what? You're going now. <laughs> so after Steph texted my wife, Casey, um, and behind our backs, uh, she now has tickets. So to the seats seems, right next to me. <laughs> it seems like we're going to Reba. Yeah, we're I going guess. to a Reba concert. Yeah. So Which I guess it's going to be a, a little bit. I'm already, we're already going up. We got a trip planned to go to Georgia uh, for her birthday weekend in beginning of December. So I guess we'll just tack that on to another appreciation yeah. thing that I'm going to do for my wife for putting up with me for the past year being gone. Yeah. And uh, we'll call it a truce there. <laughs> but I'm not truce. doing shit else. <laughs> well, you did uh, – when we were in El Paso, get drunk and get your friend's name tattooed on your ass. Well, hey, Stephen, this is a family-friendly show. Why don't we keep it there? <laughs> well, I mean, you owe her a lot more than what do you her, think. Do owe her a lot more, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, she has put up with that, too. But Absolutely, for the rest oh, of her life. Yeah, But it's funny that we, we got uh, so deep into hunting there, and uh, unfortunately we still haven't gone, I haven't gone hunting with Nate, and I'm looking forward to that, too, because I know he's just like fishing. He's got a wealth of Well, I hunted with Mar- Maurice forever. Uh, for four years now, hog hunting, uh, never could put him on a pig, never could put him on a deer in Green Swamp. Uh, I get deployed. I'm in Syria. He meets up with Nate for the first time they've ever met in Alabama, and he kills a pig and a and a, and a buck. And he yeah. actually just got that deer mounted. Mm. Just got it mounted, and it's a pretty little six point two. It's nice and wide, and so sometimes maybe I'm just not the one to go with. Maybe <laughs> it is Nate. I don't know. But well, yeah. I mean. The, so the the one time we did go out with Nate that I went out with Nate was King of the Beach. Yeah. Which was a hell of a time. Yeah, King of the Beach. We ran two boats. You got Blue Cord Alpha and Blue Cord Bravo. I was on Blue Cord Bravo, and uh, we we went out there, found some success early, but the 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 weather was so absolutely trash. This was um, King of the Beach, spring 2021, so May. And uh, it was awful. The weather was bad. We were freezing cold. It, it was something. So because we were having to go at such a slow rate, uh, we just decided to start trolling right as the sun came up, and we started catching kings. Yeah. And I actually I uh, have footage of me hooking onto a Spanish Mac because I was also – I paid an extra 50 bucks to be in the Spanish Mac tournament, which was integrated in. And as I'm reeling up this mackerel, a kingfish comes from the bottom – shoots out of the water six seven foot in the air splits this mackerel in half and then runs away and i reeled up the last half of this the front half of this mackerel and to this day that front half is still the thickest mackerel i had ever caught oh yeah and so i kind of look at it as like well one the kingfish had just shot through the air probably would have put me on the board but two the spanish mackerel having been cut in half Still uh, would have won you that tournament. Probably would have won me the Spanish mackerel tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was something. That was something else. That that was uh, real heavy on the heart there. Yeah. What was fun, though, was a couple of days leading up to that because uh, we had pre-fished it together, um, I believe, from Thursday up until uh, Saturday morning. It was yeah. Saturday morning was a tournament. Yeah, so I remember, Sunday. Yeah, so I remember I had uh, called into work on a Thursday and Friday. I wasn't feeling that well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't feeling that he was well. Super sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you had texted me, hey, you want to go pre fish the Kingfish tournament? I said, oh, absolutely. Because yeah. I'm never going to turn down anything, yeah. especially when it comes to fishing. How about it? And uh, met up and went out with uh, with Nate on his boat. And we pre fished a little bit. Didn't see a whole lot on uh, that first day out fishing, but we, we had eliminated some areas that we weren't going to go to. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Friday, uh, you guys had, to, I wasn't able to go out, but you guys had some luck. 
um, mm-hmm. that day, pretty fishing, had been getting some snakes, but signs of life was what we were looking for, which was great. Mm-hmm. And then I got the call. Coach put me in. Coach put me in for state. Oh, yeah. Nate called you at like 7 o'clock at night, Saturday mm-hmm. night, and said, hey, I, I'm down a guy on the boat. Would you be able to get here at 4 in the morning? So absolutely. Absolutely. And just like that, you're back in the fight. Absolutely. You're not going to get me uh, to say no to a lot of things. And no. uh, that, that hence that why you one, have another man's name tattooed on you. Yeah, exactly. On your rear end. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why. But when it comes to outdoors stuff, the name of the podcast perfect. When it comes to the outdoor stuff, I'm I'm game for just about anything. And when you're telling me, oh, we're gonna go fish King of the Beach, the largest kingfish tournament in the world, we're gonna go do that. I'm like, oh, absolutely, let's yeah. go do it. So that morning, I I get all my stuff ready. Told the wife, hey, sorry, I can't make it to this family function. I gotta be in this kingfish tournament. She was like. Fine, fine. <laughs> and she's like, all right. Uh, so wake up really, really early and drive out to uh, Fort Soto, meet up with Nate and Quincy, and got on the boat. And, yeah, that morning was, was awful. It mm-hmm. was cold. The waves were really rough, five to sevens, when we mm-hmm. got out there. And I remember we got to a point where we were getting so tossed around and we were soaking wet and freezing, and Nate looks over to me and he says, should we keep going? We were about 10 miles offshore. He's like, should we keep going? And I said, I've been in worse. Because <laughs> yeah. I have. I always like pushing the limit when I'm going out fishing of what, what the boat can handle, what I can handle. And I've come to find out that unless we capsize that boat, we could pretty much handle anything. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, should we keep going? I said, I've been in worse. And we kept going. And we got out to our first spot, which was 17 miles offshore. And about a mile out from the actual spot was when we started trolling. And we had put out uh, on the outriggers. We had um, uh, they, we were fishing all stinger rigs. We had one of them with a thread fin on, one of them with a rigged ballyhoo, and then we had another one with what I believe was a pinfish. Mm-hmm. And within five seconds of that that bait being in the water, we immediately got got slammed. Mm-hmm. So Quincy grabs a rod and starts fighting this fish. And while we're doing that, I'm trying to film. And help Nate clear lines mm-hmm. because we had six rods out. Yeah. So we're trying to clear all these lines, and Quincy's fighting this fish, and I'm driving the boat and filming at the same time just to keep us going into the waves because it was still pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And this was right at sunup. And he's fighting the fish, and he did a hell of a job finessing it because if I had been on the end of the, the other end of that rod, I probably would have fought it a little too hard just because of how exciting it was. And you could tell in the look of Quincy's face the way he was fighting it too. He knew it was a good fish, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh. Let's get it. So while we're filming, he's fighting it. He's finessing it the best he can. And we finally see color. And boy, mm-hmm. we thought we had the winning fish right there. Yeah, yeah. As you can see, see it on the episode two, King of the Beach. Um, uh, Nate goes, he gaffs it and gets it onto the boat, and all hell breaks loose. We're high-fiving, we're screaming and shouting, and it was just one of the best feelings in the world. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at this fish, I go, that thing is massive. Mm-hmm. That is a massive kingfish. Mm-hmm. Based off of all the you know the other kingfishing that I've seen and all the snakes that we were pulling up onto the boat, like that thing was huge, and I was like, "There's no way that that's not, if not the winner, then top five. Yeah, because it was just so big. And then you guys brought it in, and it actually did take fifth place in the single engine. Mm-hmm. I think Nate won like 500 bucks for that fish, and the fish actually came in at 26 pounds even, which we all thought it was more like. 40. Yeah, but. I definitely thought it was. And that's the thing about kingfish, too, is the weight is really deceiving because of the way that they're built. Mm-hmm. They look like little, little torpedoes. Yeah. So 
you look at the fish and you're like that that is a massive you know 40 50 pound fish and in reality yeah it's only 20 something pounds but boy when we saw the winner the the actual guy that won the overall king of the beach his came in at 54 pounds that was a hell of a fish no when you looked at that fish you're like yeah that yeah. i understand you, yeah. you you take the money yeah take the money but and run one home. thing we did learn that we we're gonna have to do next time we do king of the beach is gotta bring a portable scale yeah, because it's always important. Because after we caught that fish, and we were like, "There's no way that we're going to catch anything bigger than that," because it was first thing in the morning, and we put it in the ice box, and we went back inshore, and we started trolling the beaches for some mackerel because he was also in on that, and uh, we didn't end up getting any mackerel. That was the only fish we had that day, but it was perfect. That we couldn't have done any better than that, and it was it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then obviously getting to go to the weigh-ins, which is a whole event. If you've never gone to it or you've never seen it, it's a big party. Yeah, it's awesome. Everyone's drinking and having a good time, and there's vendors everywhere, and they actually have the they start the weigh-ins and people go crazy. Yeah, yeah. hundreds of people there too. Oh yeah, so much fun. Probably put more to like eight hundred to a thousand people Mm -hmm. there, and they've got music and um, big old yellowfin boats or contenders you can go check out, and um, all these food vendors, food trucks. It's a thing, and then you get the big stage. And then they do the weigh-in, and you can watch it live on YouTube if you want to. But you get a, uh, you know, you go in there and you look at everyone's kill bags that they got, and you're like, yeah, they, they got me. They yeah. beat me, you know. Uh, I think we weighed uh, my sister-in-law. She caught a king, and we weighed hers, weighed hers in. It came in at like eight pounds, and we she was uh, we put her in as the uh, in the women's division, and we just we felt just outside of it because the one the woman right behind us. Hers came in at like twenty, so <laughs> yeah, we were out. Yeah, but, but that I'm gonna question that because uh, I saw her and she was a little too uh, wasted at the time. Yeah, she, I think she was just the female on a boat that caught that fish. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, that, I, was, that was when you looked at the fish, the size of the fish versus the size of the woman that caught it, and how inebriated she was. I was like, "There's no way you caught that fish." <laughs> yeah, she seemed to not know anything, but that's okay. Well, John. Um, I think our time's coming to an end here. Uh, we put in some heavy work. I think we're at about a hour and 45 minutes or we so. Are, yeah. And that's okay. I like that. So I'm, I'm hoping that anyone that um, is up to this point listening to it found this conversation. Obviously, I had to have found this conversation quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And the reason, a big reason I wanted to bring is, one, you're here with me, so it's easy to talk about outside stuff. But uh, also, you're, that even that kingfish tournament was your first time ever trying to target kingfish. And having to explain your first time hunting and the feelings you get and what it's done to you now and now it's changing for the better uh and all the money now that you're gonna have to spend Mm -hmm. uh so you kind of get you you don't meet a lot of people that never hunt that do hunt and then now they're hooked so it's kind of why i wanted to have you on to explain that story plus we also delve deep into like 40 minutes of what is the monotony of being in the army yeah. as well? So yeah. pe- people might find an appreciation. If this deployment for that. hasn't been the exact definition of what the army is like, I don't know what is. <laughs> I don't know what is either. Uh, if you haven't already, go to Carbon TV, search Blue Court Outdoors, and give us a follow on there. It's a free account to set up. Um, it's the largest outdoor hunt and fishing streaming service on the planet. I'm so happy to be a part of them, and uh, we've found a lot of success on there. Uh, all the videos we've talked about are in Season 3 and in Season 4, so definitely give them a look. Even the Kingfish one he was just bringing up is actually titled uh, Blue Court Alpha. It's the last video of Season 3, Episode 15. So give it a look-see. Um, follow us on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and give this podcast a, 
a follow, download, and give us a rating. You know, this is something new to me and something I want to get into being over here so I can still have my, my hands on things that are outside, hence the title. But, uh, yep, this is Stephen Marshall with Outside Stuff presented by Blue Court Outdoors. And um, peace out, Girl Scouts. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you all.